You're listening to a Crossroads original podcast. Having personally experienced a broken home and poverty while growing up, she now brings value and dignity in the most practical ways to the most vulnerable here in British Columbia. Join me with Loretta Hibbs coming up. From Crossroads Media, this is See Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks, season eight, episode number 35. Tindale is set apart for several reasons. They're very invested, not only in your academic excellence, but also your spiritual growth. The best part of studying at Tyndale is the flexibility. Our professors, they work with us to help us get through the courses. They really care about me as a person. Come, you'll see the diversity that the Kingdom of God has to offer. If you want to develop personally, I'd want to develop professionally. This is the place for you. so great to be with you here in beautiful Vancouver and great to finally get to know each other a little bit more one-on-one. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And you look gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) All right, before we get into your story and about the good work that you're doing, some fun little questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit more. Okay. Okay. And I didn't, that's why I didn't prep you before because you have to just be off the top of your head. So here we go, Loretta. Your greatest career accomplishment to date? Career accomplishment? Career. Well. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Um, I'm the founder of City Dream Center, so I think that is one of my greatest accomplishments. I would say that. If you didn't say that, I'd be like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) Loretta, greatest personal accomplishment? Um, I would have to say that I'm still here. Because it's a miracle that I'm sitting here today. Me too. I'm going to get emotional. I have been saying that a lot lately. I mm-hmm. went through a, a bit of a trauma uh, last year. I was in the ICU and uh, mm. they didn't know if I was going to make it. And every day, that's what I say. I say, people go, how are you feeling? What would be your thing? And I'm like, I am here. I am here. Oh, that makes me really emotional. You've really set me up now, Loretta. <laughs> <laughs> I am here. Let's go with that as we start our, our, our conversation about I am here. So let's go uh, to your story, um, your experience with poverty and growing up in a broken home. Yeah, actually, the miracle story of this is we just celebrated my husband and I our 40th anniversary. Congratulations. So, so when I tell you my story, it's a miracle that we've been married for 40 years. Okay. So my parents, actually I'm Hungarian, and my parents in the 50s, they escaped Hungary. They met, they escaped Hungary through the revolution, and they ended up in a refugee camp in England. Mm -hmm. From England, they had a choice to go to Australia or to um, Canada. So I could have had a sweet accent sitting here. (laughs) But instead, they came to Canada. You could have been riding like in Australia, like crocodiles. Yeah, I could have, you know. I know, right? But here I am in Canada (laughs) with no accent at all. Um, and so they ended up in Edmonton where my sister was born. I'm the youngest of five and 15 years later, my little brother came along. So they ended up in Edmonton. We found family in Kamloops and that's where the rest of my three brothers and myself was born. Um, 
and my my mom really married my dad to get out of the country. Okay. And I don't know if she really loved him or not. I am not sure. Mm -hmm. But growing up, we grew up with a lot of fear. Like my mom, if she got upset, she was not a yeller or anything. She'd just be gone and she'd be gone mm -hmm. for days. And as a young girl, I never knew where she was. When I came home from school, I never knew if my mom would be there. I never knew what I was walking into. I remember in the middle of the night, waking up, grabbing onto her legs and saying, please, mom, don't go, don't go. And, uh, and she'd go back into bed. And when I got up the next morning, she'd be gone again. And I wouldn't know where she is. And that built a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear in my life. Um, I was also abused by a family friend when I was a young girl. And uh, I, I went through a whole lot of things as I, I was growing up, really hard, heartbreaking things. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I became an adult, uh, you know, when I was 18 years old, uh, I met my husband. And we dated for six months, and six months later, we were married. So I was 19 years old. So he, young, like a baby. Yes, he was 22. <laughs> and uh, all through my t teenage years, as far as I can remember, my mom would say, you better figure out how to do your laundry and how to take care of yourself, because I'm not going to be around. I'll probably die of some awful disease, and I'm not going to be around to take care of you. And I remember crying, saying, please don't say that, Mom. Don't say it. She's going, oh, don't be so ridiculous. You know? and. Uh, I can remember that over and over again, and it built such fear in me. And so I married my husband when I was 19. The only way I knew how to deal with our relationship, if ever I was upset with him, was to leave. And I would literally go, we were lived in Surrey at the time, I would drive here to Stanley Park, and I'd drive around and around to like 4 o'clock in the morning. We never had cell phones. We had little kids. I mean, I had my first child when I was 20. Uh, we had little kids. and. You know what, he was Mr. Steady Eddie. I'd never seen anything like it. So I'd walk in the door and he'd say, uh, are you okay? He'd never yell at me or get mad at me. Like, I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, you're just weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's literally been that our entire married life. He's been Mr. Wow. Steady Guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never experienced that. So I tried sabotaging that so many times. And we, you know, with the people that we work with, sometimes in Dream Center and recovery and stuff, they they, a lot of times they sabotage a good thing because they create chaos because they don't know how to live in peace. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to live in peace. I didn't know how to live with this security that I'd never felt before. Mm -hmm. And so I kept running. And I was in church one day and I, our pastor, it was one year going to this new church that we were in. They had just come back from a woman's, I mean, from a couple's retreat. Mm -hmm. And they said, they talked about communication. Well, I never even knew that word existed in our vocabulary. Right. Communication, like mm -hmm. you actually talk things out. And so uh, one day I said to my husband, I said, will you help me not to run? I said, don't bar the doors. Don't do anything. Just say, please don't go. So as I would run to the door, he'd say, please don't go. Did he sing it in song? No. Like that song? You know that song? No, he looked, please, please don't go. Because he was a little nervous, you know. He's yeah, like, yeah. please don't go. <laughs> wow. And so then I would go. You know, I'd either, sometimes I'd still go. Other times I would be sit in the living room or I'd go to my room or, you know, just try to regroup and think about my decision. And so I remember I was 28 years old, December 15th. My mom knocked on our door. So my mom and I, we did, I didn't see her a lot, mm -hmm. you know, maybe three or three times, four times in a year. And she knocked on my door December 15th, looking nine months pregnant. And she said, something is wrong with me. And uh, we found out she was in stage four cancer. She was 54 years old. And uh, she died at 55 
and uh, 11 months later. And I can remember when the enemy told me that, because I, all of a sudden, as soon as she died, I got this fear that I was going to die of cancer. And I couldn't tell anybody because the enemy lied to me and told me if I tell anybody, I speak it out of my mouth, I'll get what my mom got because she always said she'd die young mm -hmm. of a disease. And so if I tell anybody I'm struggling, so I held it for two years. If I didn't eat an apple, if I didn't, you know, um, wow. do, do whatever I did that day, yeah. I was like, I'm going to die. So then I started to pray for a great mom for my kids, a great wife for my husband. So you're thinking, so Lord, you think you're going to die? I think I'm going to die. At this point? Yeah. And so, and, and you know, not once did I think to pray for my health. Strangest thing. Hmm. I prayed for my kids for a great mom for them. I was so tormented in fear. Wow. Let me ask you, so were you, you know, your, your family, family of origin, was there a, a Christian faith through that? Or how did you, you know, well, come to, to a sense of God and, yeah. you know, and well, it was interesting because my family, my parents, so when I was five, we moved to Vancouver. Okay. Um, and my parents, we went to church in Vancouver here. And when I was nine, my parents left the church. Mm. And, but they made us go every single Sunday. So me and my So the kids went, siblings, but the parents didn't. The parents didn't. Mm -hmm. And every week, and there was families in that church that would look for us every Sunday. Okay. And make sure we were there. And so... Many times I'd be like, we got to go to church because they're, they're going to be disappointed if we're not there, mm -hmm. you know. So it was um, people in the congregation right. that really helped to keep us going okay. to church. So, Loretta, I'm hearing a lot of trauma. I mean, there's a lot there that you've experienced. You're getting married young. You have a fear that you're going to die. There's always a sense of being left and abandoned. There's a lot. <laughs> like, you are holding a lot of of trauma and pain through that. Uh, how, you know, as a young woman, were you able then to like to move through? Like, I don't, you know, cause I, I get that. I experienced a lot of different pain and different things that were done to mm -hmm. me. And so it, it, it took a lot of process to get where I am today. Yeah. But what, what did it take for you to kind of acknowledge, look, you know, look in the face of these things and, and then yet be here yeah because I think that's the important part I, I'm big on I will share my story of what has happened but I want to I want to be in the in the place of saying but I'm here yeah and this is how it this is why I'm here and this is how I got here so this is a miracle part of the story okay I was sitting in church I would always go late to church because I was so full of fear I didn't want to talk to anybody mm -hmm. I go late leave early and um, I was sitting in church one day and we had two guest speakers that were there and it was the end. There was like 20 people left. My kids are all sleeping on the bench. I don't know why. We were still there, okay. my husband and I. So I said, let's go. So he picks up, he, you can imagine, picking up two kids. I've got two kids. And we're in the foyer. And I felt God say, you're going to leave with this again. So I said, looked at my husband. I said, I can't, I can't leave with this. I can't do this. And I said, will you come to the front with me? So we laid our kids back on the chairs, you know, and they were sleeping. And he came to the front with me. Now, remember, I had not told a soul in two years mm -hmm. what I was dealing with. I go to the front. The pastor lays hands on me, and he said, you've been praying for a great mom for your kids and a great wife for your husband, and you've been afraid of dying of a disease. And my husband's mouth just dropped. Wow. He looked at me and went, what just yeah. happened? 
And from that time, you know, when I walked down that aisle, I felt like there was GAC, that just that stuff that's, that's causing my shoulders to be down. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got prayed for that day, it was like I was six feet tall. They laid hands on me and that spirit of fear was broken over my life. And I stood up tall. I was like, oh my goodness. I said to my husband, I'm not going to fit in the van. I feel so tall, you know. And from there, I made a vow to God that I would be a yes person to him. And that's how I'm where I am today. A yes person. Because I did everything afraid. I. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that because I know that a lot of young women, mm-hmm. we don't do things because of fear. Yeah. And whether the fear is legit or it's not, yeah. right? Like it's, it hasn't happened. We, we get this in our head. Just talk to me about that because I think there are, there are people that are listening, watching, going, yeah, I'm, I'm in that place. I have these feelings or I don't do anything or I haven't made that decision because of fear. Yeah. You know what? The key is the one step. You can't look at the big picture. It's the one step that's before you and doing that's it afraid. Good. Because, you know, I tell the people we work with at Dream Center all the time, what's your one step? Mm. You know, you're trying to get sober. What's your one step? Mm. Because if you look at the whole picture, I can never, ever drink again or do this again. It's like, you know, I quit. You know, for me, it, it was like, okay, what's my one step that's before me? And you know what? They asked me if I would usher in church. I was petrified. I said, do I have to go to the front? They're like, well, you might. And I thought, hmm. no, I told God, yes. I would do the next thing that was asked of me. And I said, yes, and I did it. I did it fear and trembling, but I did it. You know, when I got married, I got married in the dark because I was so afraid of seeing people. I had one candle in front. I had one candle all the way down the aisle. I got married in the dark. I didn't want to see one person's face. I was so full of fear. I shook so much that that my bouquet had hardly any flowers left out. So the one step. It's the one step. Yeah. Because it's... It's always the one thing that's before you that's causing you so much fear. Mm-hmm. You have dreams and you've got visions and you've got goals of where you want to be, but it's that one step that's stopping you. But if you take that one step, it's like, I did it. Mm-hmm. So then you can take the next step and then the next step. And before okay. you know it, you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, look at how far I've come. So good. Stay with us, stay with us, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to go for a break right now. When we come back, Loretta's going to share about taking that one step to helping the poor and the marginalized in her city. Stay with us. Season eight is all about getting to know you, the See Her Love community. Here are four ways to connect. Number one, watch See Her Love anytime and anywhere on YouTube and Castle Media. Number two, listen to the See Her Love podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Number three, engage by visiting seeherlove.com or my personal favorite, follow at seeherlove on Instagram. Finally, number four, give to See Her Love in Crossroads by visiting seeherlove.com slash give. I wasn't always a TV host and executive producer, and I didn't always have a platform for my voice. And if it weren't for courageous leaders who mentored me, who took a chance on me, who gave me opportunities to lead, who allowed my voice to be heard, who believed in the gifts and passion God has given me, if it weren't for them, not only would See Here Love not exist today, but neither would the thousands of diverse voices worldwide who, thanks to your support, are choosing lives of justice, love, kindness, inclusion, and courage. And this is only made possible by viewers, listeners, and supporters like you, leaders like you. 
Now through TV, podcast, YouTube, and video streaming, there is no limit to the millennials and so many others we can reach with God's transformative love and the truth that they are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. Our community needs you. We need your leadership, your wisdom, your perspective, your voice. We need you. Donate today. Visit seeherelove.com slash give. back with Loretta Hibbs. Wow. You know, in that break, Loretta, I'm just processing just the trauma and the light because hearing your story, just that bit, you, you shouldn't be here. You, you could be doing something completely different. And yet you've chosen to serve the least of these, the marginalized, those in prison, those with addiction, those that are poor, Mm-hmm. And I can see the thread of connection there. So tell me how you did the one step toward, you know, the work that are, you're doing to help those, you know, live a life of hope and self-sufficiency. I think um, the one step was seeing a need and meeting it. There it is. Yep. So, so the need's so big but just meeting the one need that's before me. And I had a real heart for hurting teenagers, for hurting women because of my story. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in my later teens, I started mentoring younger girls because I was like, you know, when I heard their story, I was like, listen, if I can do it, you can do it. If I'm still here, Mm -hmm. then you know what? You're gonna be okay. Yeah. Follow me as, you know, I follow Christ. Like just, you know, knowing that they're not alone. And I remember in grade 11, there was somebody that befriended me. They were a teacher. And um, they began to mentor me and show me that I I had value, that I had dignity, that they saw me. Mm. And, um, and it made a huge difference. I know it saved me from making some devastating choices. Yeah. Because every Sunday she'd say hi to me, or in school she'd come say, come to me and say, "Hey, how are you doing? How's your day? How, what's happening today?" I thought, "What? You really care?" Mm-hmm. You know, at first I pushed her away, and I was kind of mean and and saying, "Go away." And then I realized the benefit of it, so I wanted to be that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so throughout that journey of helping other teenagers and working in youth ministry, and then I worked at a church for many years, and in that process. Uh, I worked in women's ministry because I had a real heart for women's ministry. And um, our pastor came to me and said, you're out of community. I mean, you're out of women's ministry, you're into community. I want you to answer this question. If we closed our church tomorrow, would anybody in the community even notice? Okay, let's hold on to that. I think every church should answer that question. Because I mean, the real honest answer of that is, I think, honestly, and I don't know the real stat, Loretta, but I, I don't know how many people would even notice if a lot of churches closed down in their community. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not, and I've, listen, I love the church. Yes, yes. I've had, I've been the recipient of beautiful love and community mm-hmm. through church. But I think that's such a good question to ask. Because yeah. if, if people are like, I didn't even know you were here, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Because is it just like a, is it just like a church club yeah. for all those that are in, yeah. whereas the church is meant to be about caring for the least, the marginalized, the poor. Yes. That's the call, to love others, love God. Yes. Anyway, that's my story. I always get onto this rant because I, I, it's so much about the heart of what I, I hope the church will be and choose to be. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, 
at that point, I thought, I have no idea. I've been working in these four walls for mm -hmm. 20 years, yeah. and now you want me to find out what's going on in the community. Yeah, so I thought, <laughs> I thought we could adopt a school, mm -hmm. um, maybe paint a class and raise money for a playground. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I went and met with the superintendent of, at the school board. She began to tell me, I said, can we adopt a school? She's like, well, you can't adopt one. You have to adopt a district, which is four schools, because mm -hmm. the need is so big. I thought, the need is so big. What are you talking about? And uh, so then I met with the four principals and they started to tell me that kids are going to bed hungry. They have no food for weekends. They don't have proper coats and winter boots. I left there an absolute wreck. How is this happening 10 minutes so from know. where I live? You didn't know. I had not a clue. But I wonder though, Loretta, if uh, many people don't know what's happening in their community. Yes. Like I have a feeling that if you did a poll and you said, do you know that X amount of kids are going hungry to school, don't have food? I don't think people would no, know. I didn't believe it. I was like, how is that happening? 10 minutes, mm -hmm. we live in Canada. Like, right. you know, this isn't, this isn't a foreign country. This is like Canada, we, there's no mm -hmm. way. And, um, and now I've experienced it. So we started an adopt the school program. Okay. And we found out there was 32 inner city schools in Surrey alone. So we started calling churches and saying, will you adopt a school? Because we found that churches just don't know where to begin. Okay. People just don't know where to begin. They're like, the need is so big. If I throw money to the homeless, is that going to help? If I throw money to the, you know, the addiction um, crisis center, is that going to help? Like, it's like, where's the tangible, how do I know I'm making a difference? Right. And so they had church, churches started adopting schools. So now they can see, meet the families. They, if you get the children, you get the parents, the grandparents, the teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. And so they gave hampers at Christmas. They were able to tangibly give towards families in the needs that they are. So right now we have, we work with 24 churches. They've all, Great. all in the lower mainland. Mm -hmm. There's one in Victoria. There's one in uh, Maple Ridge and Vancouver and like all over. Uh, all over British Columbia. Yes. Those who are around the world yes. are like, what is Surrey and where are we? Yeah, in oh, British yes. Columbia in Canada. Yes, British <laughs> okay. Columbia, Canada. Right, yes. Our goal is to see every inner city school across Canada adopted by a church or organization because I truly believe it'll change the face of poverty Amazing. in our nation. I agree. I agree. Let's talk about this because there's such great need. Mm -hmm. My sense is a lot of people don't want to know about right. need. Uh, it means then you've got to respond to it. I think it's messy. It takes, it would be effort. There's work involved. There's sacrifice of time and resources. Uh, I think speak to me, Loretta, about how can I, I think I like what you say, like this, this sense of, you know, how can I come along and support and, and not like just turn away and just be like, it's too overwhelming, it's too much. Because I feel like that could be a big issue. People don't want to help or it's too overwhelming. It's them. too overwhelming, yeah, and that's, what we found, it's too overwhelming. Okay. But you know what, if you look at the person as an individual. Right. You know, I heard this story. I'm gonna share it really quickly. Mm -hmm. There's two people that were talking about human trafficking. One person told the other person, we just rescued a girl from human trafficking. At the same time they rescued a girl from human trafficking, the other person said, well, they just picked up five more. He said, what difference are you making? He said, well, let me get that young girl mm -hmm. and bring her to you. And you tell me what difference it's made in that one girl's life. Mm -hmm. And so we can look at the whole thing going, what difference are we making? Because 
I pick up one, five, you know, and but if you look at the individual and look them in the eyes and say, you know what, what do you need? Yeah. What What is your need? It's the Good Samaritan, right? Mm -hmm. The Levi crossed the street. The priest, you know, didn't want to go in that direction. But the Good Samaritan took them, put them in a in a hotel. They helped them. They gave them food and everything. You know what he did? Mm -hmm. He came back and checked up on him and made sure he was okay. Mm -hmm. How many people come back and make sure that the person's okay? Not very many. And that's the key. That's the key. You know, I, you know, you said something about that for you, what changed earlier was that you were, you were seen and that somebody made a note to say, Loretta, are you okay? Are you here? And I think that's the whole part of, you know, my heart for See Here Love. I mean, See Here Love came out of, you know, me speaking for 25 years to women's groups. And after every conversation or after I got down from the platform, women would come up and the three things they would say to me are, I don't feel seen mm. like by my husband, by my community, by my family, my life doesn't matter. I don't feel heard. My voice doesn't matter. I, nobody invites me to the table to share my thoughts. Right. And then at the very core, which is the most heartbreaking was I don't feel love. Wow. Not only that, I don't love myself. I don't feel loved by anybody, let alone God, who I don't see. Mm -hmm. And so I get that. I get how important it is for women, for all of us, to make sure that we see, hear, and love people. Yeah. That we actually value every single person, yeah, so no good. matter what their state is, no matter what they've done, mm -hmm. where they are at, how they look, whatever. That's the call. That's the call. And I think that's what I really love about you Loretta because that's my heart and as you're saying that I'm like for someone who's been through so much trauma you could have easily justified that I don't need to help because I've been through enough like I'm just gonna live my life do my thing mm -hmm. but I'm just really encouraged about what what you're doing and that you are seeing and, and hearing and loving people it's Thank not you. easy is it no it's not easy you know you can't quit if you don't quit, you win. You know, it's it's every day you have to get up and make a decision. I'm going to get up and I'm going to make a difference in somebody's life today. You know, because sometimes you just want to pull the covers over your head. See you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you realize that at my even my children and my grandchildren, you know, like they're watching me, like they're living a different life than I led. But I had to make that choice that day that I said to my husband, just ask me not to leave. You know, so it's the generation. So it's not only um, the people that we're impacting at City Dream Center, but it's it's about the generations to come that are underneath of us mm -hmm. that are healthy, that are doing really well, helping them see the need that not everybody gets to do what you're doing. Can I ask you a personal question? Yes. Were you able to resolve and maybe forgive in the relationship with your mom and your dad? You know what, my mom, when she was sick for those 11 months, God restored and healed our, our relationship. Beautiful. So I was thankful. Mm -hmm. I was 29 years old when she died. I had a two-year-old, a four-year-old, six-year-old, and eight-year-old. And God redeemed that relationship yeah. so beautifully. And I'm 
grateful. Very grateful. Well, I'm very grateful that you're here. And uh, I want to close, Loretta, you're so inspiring, but I want to close with a verse that I um, just felt for you, for you and the work that you do, and now hearing more of your story. It's from Proverbs 14.31. And this is, it's, it's an interesting verse. I'd never read this before, but it says, you insult your maker when you exploit the powerless. When you're kind to the poor, you honor God. Mm. And I want to affirm to you that, Loretta, you honor God. Thank you. And not just in your kindness to the poor, but I believe in the kindness to yourself and in the kindness of your family and in all that you're doing. And so I want to affirm that to you, that you. you are a woman who honors God. So thank you. There, there's so much. How can people know more about the City Dream Center? How can we help and support you and cheer you on? Uh, go to citydreamcenter.com. There's lots of things that we're doing in our community. We work with um, people in recovery, in prison, both federal and provincial prisons. We work with the preventative, which is our children and our adopt school programs, with our girls club, boys clubs, all kinds of stuff we do. So just go to our website. There's so much information there. There's lots that we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thanks for hanging out with me here in Vancouver. <laughs> Beautiful Vancouver. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you. And to you, our viewers and listeners, thank you for being with us here. I hope you enjoyed our conversation, like I said, and outside of the studio, but in this really cozy living room. And I hope you're inspired by what Loretta said. It's that taking that one step, not letting fear hinder you, but letting it actually propel you mm -hmm. in making a difference, in trusting God in all things. And uh, our prayer is that if you do have some broken relationships, that God will help restore them uh, to forgiveness and to life and to love. And as you do, know this, that you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply loved by God. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to See, Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks. Stay connected with our daily posts and stories on Instagram or Facebook at See, Here Love, or join our newsletter at www.seeherelove.com.